0: and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder.
1: So if you will now look with me in Romans chapter 3. We're going to read verses 21 through 31. This is ground zero of the Reformation. It was this text. If you'll follow along with me. But now, but now. Paul, having brought us to the throne of judgment, dismantling all strategies of defense, having brought the indictment and described the indicted, he then says this, but now, the righteousness of God, here's the answer, the only answer. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets do bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, how? By His grace as a gift through the, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He has passed over former sins. God's very patient to accomplish His redeeming work in our lives. If it and it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. We began our visitors' dinners back, and it was wonderful. Had a 30-something people in our home this last week. What a great blessing getting to know all of them. One of the things I invite people to do if they want to is they can kind of look at the books I have and, and then also and go to this study if they want to. I do request that none of them steal any of those books. Warning them if they do. There's a good possibility that may be the one thing whereby you could lose your salvation. But, um, but um, so I, I went back up there after this group went through just to make sure. Uh, my desk was still had the 14 commentaries on the book of Romans. And uh, so, um, which I have been just so blessed to have and to use in this series But particularly today, I want to, ethically and personally, I want to say just how much. uh, This this text that I just read, as I said, this is ground zero of the Reformation. This is the text that Luther says is the linchpin. This is the text that, I mean, I'm sorry, this is the text that Luther said brings the cardinal doctrine of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. This is the text that Calvin said was the linchpin. This is the text that Augustine, who, who stimulated these reformers, poured over and was just transformed by its message. This, these verses right here. This is what really, any one area of the Bible, this is where it sprang out of. I tried to read it carefully so you could see. That's, that's why we did the, we went to what we normally do on Reformation Sunday, that confession, uh, that captures the five solas of the Reformation. I, we did it today because this is the text it comes from. I tried to read it to emphasize it that way, that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Why? And here's where we draw the circle this morning. For the glory of God, which is your joy alone. It is in him and for him and to him. It is such a glorious text, and I want to acknowledge not only the value of those commentators, but again, I have to say Um, particularly on this text, and particularly in these last couple of verses in chapter 3 this morning, how much um, Dr. Ferguson's uh, lectures uh, from when my systematic theology in seminary, and then his predecessor, uh, John Murray's uh, commentary, and then, of course, R.C. Sproul's commentary on this. Those have really shaped uh, my grasp of this and have bathed my heart, immersed my life. It has been uh, it has just been such a such. It's like drinking water in an oasis in the wilderness for me, and I have prayed that God would allow me to share that with you today. But I want to thank God for allowing them to work in my life uh, in these weeks that I've been here, and then come to this come to this last piece of it. You see, here's where we are. The Apostle Paul has a he has a he seems to have a. Desire to bring something up and give an initial statement and then do what he wants to do to set up the exposition of that statement, the enlargement of that statement. So he wants to give to us this gospel of God, which he is eager to preach, which he unashamedly proclaims. What he wants to do is he wants desperately for us to understand it. So he initially lifts it up before us and turns it with two facets of the diamond in front of us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God. It is the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes and to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Then he turns it to the other facet. In it, the righteousness of God, power of God, righteousness of God is exhibited, is revealed. The righteous shall live by faith. And then, he's going to get to it. In fact, we get to it next week, chapter 4. It starts to unfold. This exposition of the gospel of God, his power and his righteousness. We start there. But what he does first in the next chapters is show us why those two statements are so crucial. Power of God. Righteousness of God. And he brings all of humanity at the end of chapter one, all of chapter two, and throughout chapter three. He brings all of humanity to the day of judgment, the bar of justice. The Christ who came to bear your judgment on that day will come to bring judgment, inflexible, eternal, unsearchable. And what he has done in these chapters is dismantle, destroy, and show us there is no defense strategy possible we are all indicted romans 3:19 under sin all have sinned and come short of the glory of god we're not only indicted he then describes the indicted the indictment we are under sin the, and, and therefore under God's wrath. And then the indicted, he describes them. There's none who seek God. There is none who desire him. All have turned aside. There is no peace. Poison in their, under their tongues. That their mouths are always bringing destruction. In other words, he has shown us we are helpless. We are hopeless. Hopeless. But praise God in the gospel, to the helpless, the power of God saves you. Nothing else has the power to save you, only the God of glory and grace. And he regenerates us. And not only is there the power of God, there is the righteousness of God. How in the world can a holy God be just, just as I just read? How can he be just and justifier of the unjustifiable? How can he do that? Well, he found a way, the power of God in Christ to bring dead sinners to life that they may believe in Jesus. And the righteousness of God to remove their sins and give us an impeccable record of righteousness in Christ. In Christ comes the power of God to bring us from spiritual death to life. And in Christ is the righteousness of God to give us an impeccable holiness. And all of the Old Testament was designed to point to that fulfillment all of those promises point to the promised one in whom everything is fulfilled to save his people from their sins this is the ground zero text now we're going to see something else that Paul does look at verse 20 uh, look at verse 27 see that first word then then the apostle Paul has brought the prosecution, indictment, and and described the indicted. He then opens up in the verses I just read, the only defense, a sure defense, the power of God and the righteousness of God in Christ by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And then this amazing word, then so so what then what what does that look like in the life of someone that's been saved by grace through faith in christ what does that look like and he uses questions paul has a penchant for questions he loves to ask questions He loves to surface questions from those whom he's speaking with. He loves to meet questions head on. He brings questions. He surfaces questions. He meets questions head on. It's really affected my life, which is why I've had the privilege now for 20 years to do something called Ask the Pastor uh, where you know whether it's our BYG youth group or our singles or our college, our, our um, graduates and career, uh, or our um, college ministry, or what we're doing now every eight or nine uh, weeks, where we have the conversations with Harry and Bruce, and y'all email and text mess, text questions, or in those meetings where I go to the BYG and the college and the um, uh, and the graduates in career, they'll send questions up. Well, Paul didn't have email. Paul didn't have text messages. But Paul anticipated questions. He, and he also anticipated how to surface questions that he thought they ought to be asking. And he also had his own questions. That's what Paul would do. He knew what was in the heart. Hey, why does Paul able to do that? Paul is able to do it for two reasons. Paul knows the Bible, and he knows what is in from the Bible. It's not because he has some clairvoyant uh, skill here. It's he knows the Bible, so when the Bible tells him what man made in the image of God is like, the man made for God's glory apart from Christ, how will he live? He'll live for glory, but it won't be God's glory, it'll be for his glory. He knows that. He also knows from the Bible that when men and women get saved and their lives are changed, they don't become perfect on this side of eternity. And they've got now not a sin nature that pushes them for, uh, to pursue their own glory, but they do have, but what they do have is an old man, that old way of living, that it was all about me, that that old way of living is still trying every day to come back in and penetrate the heart Heart and our life somehow make it about me. Even as a Christian, that keeps wanting to come back into our life. You see, he knows from the Word of God what the lifestyle, the overall direction of a life that is under the dominion of sin does. And he also knows that on this side of glory, even those under grace, what they have to deal with. He knows those things. But let me give you something else. Paul knows the questions to ask, and this is what we're about to read. Four questions. Four questions. He knows what questions to ask because he knows what the unbeliever is asking, thinking, or avoiding asking and thinking. And he also knows what the believer has to deal with from the old man. And he also knows what's outside. He knows that outside of us is a culture of self. He also knows that inside of us is an old man wanting to still make it about me. And before you're converted, you're under the dominion of self and its emptiness. That's what he knows. So then, what's the questions? he gives four of them let me give you this statement first of all as we read this here's the first, what here, here's here's why the then because the gospel of god has revealed our only defense the gospel of god reveals that the power of god and the righteousness of god has been summoned by god the ro- gospel of god reveals that the power of god and the righteousness of god has been summoned to save any and all helpless and hopeless sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Therefore, because Paul knows this, Paul now, then, then, now then, in light of this, the gospel of God which is the summoning of God's righteousness and God's power in Christ to save sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because of that, Paul now addresses four dominating, prominent questions that are not only prominent because God's Word has clarified it for him. It's prominent for some very personal reasons. Paul is a saved sinner. He knows what drove him before he was converted, and he knows the old man in him that he deals with. These four questions come not only from his awareness of the truth of God's Word that speaks to us, but it also is there because these are the questions that Paul addresses in his own life. So let's take a look at it. Let me read you th- let me read it through you, for you first of all. Look with me in verse, in verse 27. Then, in light of this glorious gospel of God, in light of being saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, in light of God summoning His righteousness and His power to save you, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one, who will justify the, uh, who will justify the circumcised by faith, and he'll justify the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, hang with me right here, right now. Hang with me. This is the next four weeks. Harry, what do you mean? Paul surfaces you remember what I told you that Paul likes to raise an issue, speak briefly and pointedly and powerfully, and then pick it up and enlarge it later. That's exactly what he's doing here. He brings these four personally embraced prominent questions to us who have who have acknowledged Christ alone by grace alone through faith alone that were saved through him and not by the works of the law. He then says to us these four questions and he gives us the short answer. Now that could possibly mean a short sermon. So let me encourage you there. He gives the short answer to all four of those questions, but he's not through next week. We go to chapter four And the first question about boasting, he will give you the larger answer in chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. And then, what about, then the second question in which he's dealing with, um, by what law is boasting excluded? Well, he'll answer that in verses 3 through 8. And then the third question in chapter 4, he is going to answer, is God the God of Jews and Gentiles both or just the God of Jews? He'll answer that for us in verses 9 through 12. And then what about the next one? Is the law of God overthrown by salvation, by our salvation through faith? He's going to answer that question in verses 13 through 25. In other words, these four questions become the outline for the next for the chapter four, and therefore, those are your next four sermons. But now he opens it up, and not the enlarged answer, but he gives you the short answer. Let's start with the first one. We'll go back to verse 27. First question. Then what becomes of our boasting? Notice something. What becomes of our boasting? Do you see what he assumes? That before you come to Christ, you have a life of boasting. He assumes that. What becomes of our boast? He doesn't say, now, for those of you who have a problem with boasting, no, he assumes. And here's why he assumes it. God made us for his glory. We are glory seeking people. But if we're not in Christ, our sin nature makes us consumed with glory of ourselves. We are glory hounds. And we will do anything and everything to find a way to get glory to ourselves, our marriage, our children, our job, our money, our possessions. Well, Harry, I'm converted now. You still got the same problem. We have this constant desire day by day, even with true religion, to make it about ourselves. We have that penchant. We have that. We are glory hounds. And when you're unconverted, that self-centered glory reigns. And when you get converted, it no longer reigns, but it's still there and wants to put itself in every day. Even using Christianity to bring self-attention to ourselves and to exalt ourselves. Even to make the Christian life all about me instead of him. You say, well, Harry, wait just a minute. I just don't believe that. I've met people there. I mean, I met, yeah, you're talking about people with superiority complex, right? Uh, Just the arrogance They just think they're greater than anything and everybody else. No, no, I'm not talking just about that. I'm talking about people with inferiority complex. Those with superiority complex have basically become self-reliant, self-exalting, self-absorbed. But those with inferiority complex are also self-reliant and self-absorbed. The one says, look how great I am. The other one says, I'm not as great as I think I ought to be. Self is still the point of reference. Don't, don't, don't associate it with humility. No, it's still. One says, look how great I am. The other one says, oh, just pity me. I'm not as great as I think I ought to be. We have this. I wish this has so impacted me in my life to think my way through this is that we, by our sin nature prior to conversion, we are glory hounds. We find a way to get to it through superiority or inferiority complexes. But then, but, but even after we're converted, we find a way or we will find a way incessantly to even take those things of great value that God has given to us and say them in a way that it becomes about us. What's the short answer to this, our boasting? He says this, it is excluded. Notice, he doesn't say managed. He doesn't say managed. Boasting is just bad form, bad manners. He says it doesn't belong in our lives. Get rid of it. We boast only in the Lord. Get re- excluded. It. Put it outside the camp. Get rid of it. That's what he calls us to do it is he doesn't he he says it is excluded not tolerated not managed not packed away not just let it come out every once in a while he says whenever you become self-reliant self-absorbed self-promoting self-pointing whenever that happens you've got to say to yourself this does not belong in my life it is to be excluded i believe this The the other three are directly related to this. This one is the key. And Paul, I believe, I believe Paul puts this here because this was his battle. It kept him from coming to Christ. And then after he became a after he became a Christian, he had to address it. And I believe that because of the evidence of Scripture. Would you keep your finger here? Because we're going to turn right back here. But just for one moment, would you turn with me to Philippians chapter three? Would you go there with me? You see, this is something that Paul is bringing to us because it's something that God had convicted Paul of. He knows this is something that beats within all of us. And that even when you get saved, the culture of self wants you to make it about you. Don't y'all understand? I know you do. I'm, I'm sorry. I was, I was speaking to myself. i get frustrated with myself. Don't y'all, and that's what this culture of self, all of this culture of immorality, insanity, absurdity, all of this rebellion against everything that God has declared, it's there because we believe everything is about me. That's why we publish magazines. We, people, me. That's it's all about us. And even after you're saved, you not only have that culture trying to move you there, inside of you you got the old man, which is the remnant of that old way of thinking before you were converted, cheap trying to find a way and rationalize it in our life. Well, everybody ought to have a little bit of self pride, right? There's a big difference between pride and self respect. That comes by the grace of God But here's where Paul says In Philippians chapter 3 Look out for. Look at verse 2. Look out for the dogs. That's false teachers. Look out for the evildoers. That's false teachers who are promoting false doctrine. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Those who say you're going to get saved by your circumcision. What's circumcision in the new covenant? It's not the cutting of the foreskin. It's not the works of the law. Here's the, here is the evidence of being sealed into God's covenant in the New Testament. We... Are the circumcision. Jew and Gentile. What is our circumcision? Who worship by the spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Those are the three marks. Of God having cut out the old heart. And given you the new heart. Now look at all three of those. They're all about glory. What is it that marks out God's people? It's not self-worship. It's God worship. Worship by the power of the Spirit of God. In spirit and in truth. And where is our glory? In Christ Jesus. Not in our marriage. Not in our children. Not in our family. Not in our money. Not in our possessions. Not in our house. Not in our Sunday school class we teach. Not in my sermons. My glory must be in Christ Jesus alone. We glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. All three of those deal with this boasting issue, and that's what God's grace brings us to: worship of God, not self; glory in Christ, not self; confidence in Christ, not self. Though I myself, He said, "Listen, here I, I could make an exception for myself." I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, glory in self. I have reason for that. Oh, why would I have reason for it? If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, i got more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Why? It's not about me, not from me, not to me, not about me. It's him. I count as loss for the sake of Christ Jesus My Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things... And count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I might know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Notice, suffering isn't something for self-pity, it's something for Christ's glory. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That Christ is the one that raises me up. So what about boasting? Exclude. Can I give you one, try to see this? The, the idea of exclusion is to put it away, to put it outside, to make no room for it, put it outside of whatever the circle, your, the circle of your life in Christ. going to give you another picture of it. It means to drop the curtain. Before your life came, to, before you came to Christ by God's grace, what do you do? You're devoted to yourself. Now that you've come to Christ, close that play, drop the curtain. How do you close a play? Drop the curtain. Close that. Close your life of self. Drop the curtain. Drop the curtain. Take no more bows. Take no encores then raise the new curtain. It's all about Christ. Boast in the Lord. All right, let me give you the other three quickly. Here we go. By what law? You tell me to exclude it? Well, when you give an imperative, that means it's a law. What law do you bring to uh, to uh, to exclude boasting? By what law? And that word. And can I give credit here? The NIV. I mean, I love the English Standard Version. I love the New American Standard. I'm not a great big fan of the NIV, but boy, they got this one right. By what principle is our boasting excluded? He said, simple. It's not by the principle of the law of works. If you think you're saved by your works, if you think you're saved by the works of the law, then there's all kind of reason for boasting. If you think you got saved because you were smarter than somebody else, there's got boasting. If you don't believe that God loved you before the foundation of the world, before you were lovable, that Christ died for you while you were still enemies, that you were helpless, that you were hopeless, if you believe that there's something special about you that got you into the circle, then you're going to find reason for boasting. But if you understand that God has loved you from eternity past, that he has chosen to place his redeeming love upon you, that he sovereignly brought you from death into life, then it's the law of faith that you've been saved by grace alone. And grace alone gave you the ability to believe in Christ alone. And you're saved by Christ alone. So now you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that the law of faith excludes boasting. Why? Well, because I receive my righteousness. I don't create my own righteousness. I receive my righteousness by faith. I believe in Jesus, and I receive His righteousness that's now been given to me. And why do I believe in Jesus? Because God's grace set me free to believe in Jesus. Now, wait a minute. Harry, it says my faith. Sure, you believe. But why do you believe? Here's what the Bible says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It, the faith, is a gift from God, not of works, lest any man boast. God devised an instrument for me to receive Christ and his righteousness, That I couldn't exercise without the power of Christ bringing me from death into life so that I could believe and no longer be dead in my sins. So it is the law of faith, the origin of faith, is Christ gives me the ability to believe by grace. The object of faith is Christ. It's all of Christ, to Christ, and for Christ. Well, that brings me to number three. Is God the God of both the Jews and the Gentiles? Is God the God of both Jews and Gentiles or of Jews only? (laughs) See, this is so, oh my goodness. I get so excited about this, but I know I got four more weeks. this This is so exciting. Spoiler alert! Not only did I give you the outline of these four questions in the next chapter, he, guess what, guess who he's going to use to prove the truth of his answer from the word in all of these questions. Guess who he's going to use? Well, who was the father of the Jews? Abraham, right? Abraham What? In other words, until Abraham, Genesis 17, there weren't any Jews. Nor were there Gentiles. It was People. And by the way, this is the key to the race issue: One race, all from Adam, in multiple ethnicities. That's what we were. So you didn't and who made everybody? God. You see his short answer? Here's his short answer. His short answer. His short answer is this. He says, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Then it's God who justifies the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. How do you know that God saves, saves Jews? Well, the Bible's full of the fact that he has saved circumcised Jews. How do you know that God saves uncircumcised how do you know that? Well, who was the first Jew? Help me out here. And when was he circumcised? Genesis 17. When was he saved? Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed in the Lord, and it was credited to him righteousness you see Abraham got saved by the same righteousness you do the righteousness of God in Christ his was anticipating it by believing the promises of God yours is looking back at the promises fulfilled in the promised one but we are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone and just in case you miss it the first Jew was saved while he was still a pagan Genesis 15 so, how is there any difference? Folks, listen to me. We aren't sitting here because plan A failed with the Jews, plan A was to reach people. The Jewish nation was designed as a covenant nation through which God would fulfill His promises. And what does He say His promises are to the very first one that He made the covenant named Abraham? Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed. And through that seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So we who worship the Lord put no confidence in the flesh and glory in Christ We all, Jew and Gentile, are circumcised by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we've got the old heart cut out and the new heart installed from Christ that glories in Christ and that worships the Lord. So. And then finally he goes to well what about the law then what about the law of God the fourth question go with me there uh, who will justify the, and, and then the last the last part do we then overthrow the law by this faith by no means on the contrary we uphold the law so do we throw away the law because of this do, is is the law has it been has it been overthrown no it's been fulfilled who gave the law God did through his son at Mount Sinai why was the law given the law listen the law has no power to save and we have no power to take the law to save ourselves the law can't save it wasn't designed by God to save and you can't save yourself and I can't save myself through obedience to the law Then why did the law come? The law came to show us what sin is, that we couldn't save ourselves, and to point us to Christ, the lawgiver, who would come under that law and provide us a perfect righteousness and pay the penalty for our disobedience to the law. And so that's the purpose of the law. We uphold the law. We don't make it do what it's not designed to do, save us. Nor do we do with it what we think we can do, which we can't do, which is save ourselves with it. On the contrary, it shows us we're indicted and we're impotent and we need Christ. The giver of the law is the one who came under the law to save those under the law so that we are saved under grace. And now we use the law as God intended the right use of the law. That's why we have it. Why were those offerings there? They're pointing to Jesus. Why was the office of prophet Christ, the prophet? Why the priesthood? Christ is the high priest. Why the Kings? Christ is the King. Why the lamb of God? Christ is the lamb of God. Why the scapegoat Christ? Why the sacrificial? Listen, if those things, if the law had the power to save, why did they have to keep doing it every day? But Christ does have the power, and once and for all, the sacrifice for all of his people has been given. And we are saved in and through him. And that's what the law is pointing to. Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained himself in all the scriptures. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life, but they point to me. Timothy, continuing what you have learned, knowing from what you've learned, knowing that the Scriptures are able to give you wisdom to lead to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what they're there for. No, as a Christian, we use the law lawfully, not as it was not designed to. Well, I've got to give you this in closing and we're done. Here's the takeaway. Salvation Here's what what you're learning as we bring this section to a close and launch into the enlargement of the gospel of God in chapter 4 as these four questions will be enlarged also. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone is singularly for the glory of God alone. We boast only in the Lord. If you're in Christ, drop the curtain. It's not about me. I've been bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. Drop the curtain. Raise the curtain. And every day, don't let Satan and the world and the flesh try to make it about you. Three times in, this ser- in these last three sermons, I have referenced Luke 18. I want to show you, folks, listen. This, even as a Christian... It is so easy to get self-absorbed, self-reliant, self-promoting, self-demanding. Um, Do you remember, the, you remember the one I've shared with you from Luke 18, 13? Remember the publican and the Pharisee? Do you all remember me sharing that with you? I want you to go back and think of it. Oh, boy, I'm so deeply appreciative of the guys that showed me this. Where is the publican? Where is he? Remember the publican and the Pharisee? Let me start this way. Where is the Pharisee? In the temple. What is he doing? Praying. What is he saying? I thank you, Lord. I tithe. I this. I that. I thank you, Lord. You know, that almost sounds like a testimony in an evangelical church. He's in the right place, the temple. He's saying he's doing the right thing. He's praying. He's saying the right things. I thank God. But if you let people talk long enough, you find out where the heart is. And then he says, I'm not like him. There, the self-righteousness revealed the boasting in self. I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad my family's not like their family. I'm glad I'm not like him. And it's wrapped up in what would have been called good religion. In the temple, praying, thanking God. And then you find out, it's all about me. Self-reliance. You see, don't you love it? God has drawn a new circle. And here's the circle. I'm saved by grace alone. See the circle continue through faith alone. See the circle continue right to the center of the circle in Christ alone. See the circle joined for the glory of God alone. My friends, uh, let me just say this. I'm, I don't think I've ever been... Well, I'm, I'm not... First of all, I've got to deal with my own heart and soul. But I'm so... I've, I've never seen how Christianity is so used. Maybe it's the fear of what's happening in the dissolving of the culture. But how many times people are now professing Christians asserting self. Exalting self. Reliance upon self counting ourselves more important than others I've got the last word this self exaltation, self promotion, self reliance self absorption we need to drop the curtain it has no place in our life We need to raise a new curtain and that curtain is the glory of God alone in Christ. We boast in the Lord. I'm saved from Christ to Christ that in all things is the preeminence of Christ. It is enough that Jesus died And that he died for me. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not the part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, not me. Not praise me. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul, I don't boast in preachers. I don't boast in my religion. I don't boast in politicians. I don't boast in my job. I don't boast in anything. We want to turn out Christians that go into everything as salt of the earth and light of the world. But we boast only in He is our confidence. He is our heart. He is our life. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. So, in this dissolving culture, when the challenges come, flee to Christ. Make it about him. When opportunities arise, it's Christ. When platforms are given, it's Christ. When compliments are are granted, it's Christ. When disappointments and disillusionment arise on the horizon, flee to Christ. Say no to self pity. Say no to self-indulgence. Say no to self-reliance. Say no to self-promotion. Say yes, I'm dead. Curtain dropped. Christ is all. Father, thank you for the moments we can be together. If you would like to pray with someone after this service, may I invite you. There will be some couples here that you can talk with and share with and spend some time with as the Lord would lead you to pray with, give your life to Christ or work on any areas of our life for Christ. Please, Holy Spirit, come and do what you do through your word. Bear witness to Christ. He is our hope. He is our life. Let him who boasts Say no to our boasting. May we say yes to boasting of the Lord and in the Lord and to the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been
0: listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, Or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.